Hi, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. A few years ago, I wrote a little book called Has American Christianity Failed? And on my YouTube channel, I asked if anybody was using that book for a book study or a Bible study of theirs. Well, my friend Christopher Hogan let me know that their Bible class was using the book, that they had some questions, and in fact, that they were recording the Bible study, and they were going to make it available on the internet and as a podcast as well. So that's what you've found. The study is about to begin. I hope you enjoy it. Pietism. What is it? Is it in all churches? Is it even in the Lutheran church? And are we missing the plot? All this and more on this episode of Has American Christianity Failed? The Bible Book Study. Hi, I'm your host, Christopher Hogan, and I'd like to thank you for joining me for this second episode of Has American Christianity Failed? The Book Bible study. And we're just going to go ahead and get pretty much right into it this time. I do like uh, always to remind you that you should like this podcast. You should follow this podcast, of course. You should subscribe to this podcast because who wouldn't want to, right? And of course, you should share this podcast because this book study is very important and needs to get out there. Aha. So with that said, I want to introduce you to today's episode. In today's episode, we're going to talk about mostly, well, we'll spend a good portion of the first part of the show talking about what, uh, are we missing the plot? And there'll be a video that we'll play from Pastor Wolf Miller, his response to that question. And then the latter part of this episode, we'll discuss pietism. We'll just go ahead and get to it. Enjoy. Uh, after class last week, there was there was a really great question raised in class by our new member who's not here. But it's a great question. It's a great question of, you know, should our focus be on, you know, apologetics within the church in a sense, or should it be on, um, you know, just kind of strictly on, on worried about those that aren't in the church yet? Anyway, this is the book, of course. If you have, have a desire to own the book, you can go to Amazon or Concordia Publishing House. Concordia is a good place to go only because it encourages them to keep having new books coming out. Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great day. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being able to gather together to be about the study of your word. Now, Lord, as we uh, dive deeper into uh, studying things that affect your church and things that we should believe, lead and guide us by your spirit, guard and protect us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, this was the question that was asked, uh, focusing on the debate between other Christians on other kinds of things, I believe, said the gentleman, uh, that it's missing the plot because the greater problem is someone who doesn't know Christ at all. So the nose blindness comes from worrying about the, is it a salvation issue instead of worrying about the fact that there's somebody out there who doesn't know Christ yet? Now, we're worried all about within the church. Are we getting our doctrine right? Does doctrine matter amongst different Christians? Or should we just forget about that and move on? So I pose the question, basically, why are we reading and discussing and studying American Christianity? 
what other churches and denominations believe and their failures and our own failure too if you're if we're honest about it sometimes within our own denomination why not just focus on being an effective witness so we can reach the unbelievers and pastor wolf miller was kind enough to reply Pastor Wolfmuller here. A couple of years ago, I wrote this book, uh, Has American Christianity Failed? And I asked if anybody's studying it, send me the questions uh, for your Bible class and uh, that, that, or your book study or whatever it is, and we'll try to answer them. So if you have questions, please send them in. Now, this question comes from Christopher, I think a fantastic question, and I want to make three points um, in response to this. First of all, uh, there is a general attitude of having distaste in the argument between the different churches. And then there's a lot of reasons for this, and it comes from a lot of places. In fact, it's one of the arguments used against the church. If the Bible's true, why are there so many different denominations? Why are there so many different Christians and this sort of thing? But So people say, well, let's not argue about the doctrine or the teaching. Let's just focus on loving one another and reaching out. But if you think about it, all of the, well, let's say this, Almost all of the books of the Bible were written because there was false doctrine in the church. I mean, that's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, because there was people who uh, weren't believing in the resurrection, who were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and didn't believe that it was the body and the blood. They were, people were saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. And so Paul wrote the letter to correct the false doctrine in the church. Or think about First and Second Thessalonians. The churches had, there had believed false doctrine about the second coming of Jesus. Or Galatians, where Paul is just raging because the people had started to think that they were righteous by their own works. In fact, we see this in the Gospels, the Prophets, even the Psalms, some of the books of Moses and the history books, that false doctrine had gotten into the church, and the Lord sent his teachers to correct that false doctrine. So point one is that while it might be distasteful to look at the dangers of different doctrines, we're taught to do it by the scriptures. Jesus says, beware of false teachers. They come to you dressed like, they're, they're wolves dressed like sheep wolves in sheep's clothing, which means that false doctrine is going to come not only from outside the church, but also from inside the church. Paul, when he preaches to the, I forgot about this when I was thinking about it, but to remember Paul's sermon to the guys about to become pastors in Miletus. He doesn't want to go to Ephesus. He meets him in Miletus, and he says, when I, when I depart, wolves will come, and uh, bringing false doctrine from outside and from inside. So that false doctrine also arises inside of the church. So the, the scriptures uh, are concerned with false doctrine and false teaching. The second thing is that while false doctrine is not, does not immediately destroy faith and salvation, it is destroying salvation. In other words, it's possible for someone to be a Christian and have a false doctrine of, of baptism or false doctrine of election, a false doctrine of something like this. So you can have saving faith and hold the false doctrine at the same time, but that doesn't mean that false doctrine isn't dangerous to salvation. It is, false doctrine is always attacking the salvation that comes to us in Christ because God's word, his forgiveness comes in the word, so when the word is being eroded, so is our salvation. I think the picture that I like to use on this is like cancer. So it, it, you can get cancer, and you, it doesn't mean you're dead. You can have life, and you can have cancer at the same time, but eventually that cancer is attacking your life, and it will eventually overcome it. So false doctrine, you can have saving faith and false doctrine at the same time, but that false doctrine is attacking your saving faith. And eventually it'll overcome it, or, or the Lord rescues you uh, from it, or gives you death, or, what, or, or whatever. 
And so, so, you say, so you imagine someone said, well, you can have cancer and be alive at the same time, so we shouldn't worry about the people with cancer. No, we, we want to worry about it. St. Paul says to Timothy, give heed to the doctrine, to the reading of the doctrine, for in so doing, you not only save yourself, but also your hearers, so that doctrine is salvation. That's 1 Timothy chapter 4. Luther says it like this. This is a nice Luther quote. Luther says, every false doctrine strikes at Christ. Now think about that. So that every false doctrine has as its goal to take away some of the glory of Jesus or to take away some of the comfort that we have as sinners. So, um, so that's the second point, is that even though false doctrine doesn't destroy saving faith, it is destroying saving. It's what it's precisely attacking. The reason why we have a concern with doctrine is because we have a concern with salvation. Point three, concern with, with true and false doctrine is not exclusive to concern for those who don't know Christ at all. In other words, it's not an either-or proposition, but a both-and. In fact, the way that I see it is that there's, um, there's different battlefields that we're fighting as Christians. There's like different battlefronts uh, that we're engaging in, and, and they kind of cross over each other, something like this. So that, let's say, here, for example, would be the Orthodox Christian Church, like there. Now, here would be all the other Christians that are there, so that there's differences between, for example, the Lutherans and the, the Roman Catholics and the Baptists and the Presbyterians. Um, and, and so we're fight now they're Christians, they have the gift of baptism, they believe in Jesus, and yet they don't have the, so we're, we're fighting against them here, we're trying to bring them over here, this is where the battle is. Now all of the, you have the baptized, and you, then you have the unbeliever, maybe you have people who believe in God, but they don't believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or whatever. Now there's a, a battle for the Bible that's happening here, so we, we're fighting here against these guys. When we're fighting here, we're fighting with them. They're on the same team. And then maybe there's people who, who don't believe in God at all. There's the atheists or the whatever, or the Hindus and stuff like this. Well, all the people who believe in God are fighting there with the people who don't believe in God, so that sometimes we're fighting against each other, and sometimes we're fighting with each other. There's even, so for example, just to take a topic like and this is big in the news, but to take the topic of abortion, uh, there's people who are atheists, and yet they're pro-life. There's pro-life. And when, that's, when we're fighting against that topic, we're, everyone who's with us, and we're fighting against everyone who's, who's not with us, and so forth. So, so there's various different battles that we're fighting, different arguments that we're having, different discussions, and things like this. And it's true that the church wants to engage with those who aren't in the church and bring them in. The Lutheran church engages with the other Christian church. We want to bring them in. All the people who believe in God want to talk about, or people who believe in right and wrong are talking about people who don't believe in right and wrong. We want to bring them in. So there's, a, there's different places and levels and battlegrounds that we're fighting. So you say, well, why are, we, why are we fighting? The question is, why are we fighting this battle when this is the bigger battle? Well, they're all very big battles, and we fight where the Lord has put us. We fight, we're all fighting all of these things and engaging in various different ways. So I hope that question is helpful for you. I'm so glad you guys are studying the book. If you guys, if you're watching the video and you haven't had this book, you can pick it up from Amazon or, or CPH or something like this um, and, uh, and read it and let me know what you think about it. Thanks. Send some more questions. Talk to you soon. That's cool. He's a neat guy. Um, yeah, where is he pastoring? Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Oh my! Yeah, he's he's deep in the den of, of pot a, smokers. <laughs> in fact, his neighborhood where his church is is not the you know, safest neighborhood. <laughs> his name is Brian Wolfmiller. Brian Wolfmiller. 
and the church is oh, yeah. Pope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Any thoughts on, on what his response was? I'd sit in his pew every Sunday morning, I promise. <laughs> that wasn't a goal, but okay. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it makes you think of, first of all, there's a Venn diagram. Oh, I was going to ask you if that was a Venn yeah, diagram. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it, it, makes you, it makes you think about, you know, what people believe, but yet they have certain relationships with those who don't believe the same thing they believe. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, you can use that same context uh, for, with a lot of... Oh, sure. You know, a lot of things. Now, there are, there's, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, there's no such thing as a pointless part of the Bible, you know, it all kind of ties together. But like he was saying, if we, we have that, that circle where we're all Christian, they're baptized in the name of the triune God, they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, all that kind of, they're, they are Christians. Now, because the Bible says so, there are divisions among us. And what is the purpose of those divisions? <clears throat> So that the truth can be be known, the Bible says. Can you imagine what that diagram would look like during the time of uh, Luther? Oh gosh! <laughs> I liked what he said about Luther. <clears throat> mm -hmm. All all attacks are really an attack against Christ. Against Christ. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, they're attacking the comfort that Christians can have, which is an interesting thing we don't spend a lot of time talking about. But the purpose of the gospel. Give, bringing the gospel to people is to bring them comfort. Well, if they don't feel like they have a need for comfort, if they don't think they're sinners in need of a savior, you have to bring them the law. But then you better give them the gospel. We talk about this all the time because the gospel is where the comfort is. If the gospel doesn't bring comfort, then it's not the gospel. Right? He's big on, well, in other, in other words, peace. Yeah, the peace. Bible is big on peace. I mean, yeah. that's what the angels told the shepherds. Relief. Christians. You could say relief. Peace on earth. Yeah. Why uh, don't we don't have much of that? And it, and if you if you go in and and read it, you know, you could say peace, relief, um, joy, relief, Love. things like that. Um, it's it's all about not getting complacent in your sin because you know you're forgiven, of course. <laughs> but it's all about when you go to the altar. And you receive the body and blood of Christ. Do you go there and walk away comforted, relieved, at peace? What do we say at the end of, of, of the, each? Let us know thy servant departed. Peace according to thy word. Not according to our opinion, right? But according to thy word. And may the body and blood of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you steadfast in the one true faith. There's something happening there that you're getting that knowledge and that uh, reality. When I was growing up, the vicar's wife came away from the altar and she smiled as she walked back to her seat. And all these old German people, oh, don't be smiling. You should be sorry for yourself. <laughs> you Lutherans. <laughs> yeah. Well, we get accused all the time as Lutherans of being so sober all the time, which is okay. We don't have to be jumping down an aisle, hey, I get to go to communion. It's more, it doesn't matter whether we are, are smiling or not smiling. We know we're forgiven kind of a thing. Of course, if you're forgiven, why wouldn't you smile a little bit, right? Um, 
So why is it beneficial for us to spend time learning about these trends in American Christianity and the things that come from other Christians, even sometimes from non-Christians, if we're honest, and they often define these other denominations and such, and they touch us all because doctrine matters. He made a very clear point in the video that what we believe matters, what we believe about Christ matters. How many people spend any amount of time focused on Christology? Well, the Bible is all about Christology. It's He's the theme of the Bible, right? So our, if we get our doctrine of Christ wrong, we start eroding that comfort. So if, if a fellow Christian has a doctrine of Christ wrong, wouldn't you want them to have more comfort? Wouldn't you want them to be more at peace? We have to learn apologetics. You have to know what somebody else believes in order to share with them what you believe and have a discussion about it. Right? The inner circle has really gotten smaller, if you think about it, mm -hmm. with uh, your ELC and your ALC and all of your... Oh, other, every split causes I the mean, middle circle I to mean, get small. It's just yeah. getting smaller and smaller and mm -hmm. smaller, you know. Hopefully the LCMS won't split. Hopefully we'll <clears throat> realize that we're all fighting for the same thing and we'll unite again, but there's, there's a possibility in the next five or ten years that there'll be yet another synod that spurs off of the LCMS. And the LCMS will keep getting smaller. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Will it be comfortable? Not necessarily. I was reminded of uh, Greg Sells in March of Life. I saw a clip where the reporter, somebody asked him, why are you marching here with the Catholics? Now, aren't there a lot of differences between you and the Catholics? He said, yeah, but when it comes to life, we're together. And that was, I made that point, um, I think I must have heard that when I was watching the clips. From, but yeah, if where we're on the same page, why shouldn't we be on the same page? You know, that doesn't mean that all the other differences go away all of a sudden. Well, but you guys believe infants should be baptized and they believe that only 12-year-olds should be baptized. Doesn't matter. We're both pro-life. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter today. Should we? Should Is that the right we, way to say it? Yeah, I said right. <laughs> Should we be pleased on Sunday morning when we drive by the Catholic Church and the parking lot's full? Yes. I'd say yes and no. Well, I, I say yes. Is there how many yeses have? do we have? Uh, I'd, say, I'd, say, I'd yes. say yes too. But how many no's do we have? I'd say yes. <clears throat> yeah. Because I know they're they're they got some stuff wrong. Yeah. Uh, but they're preaching Christ and crucified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's Just the that's, fact that somebody gets up and gets there. Yeah. See, but then you take this whole thing. Well, I don't care where my son or daughter goes as long as they go. Right. See, and then I'm going. Now that's a defeat, right. because you should care where your son and daughter go, because you should care who's feeding them right. weekly. You know. Uh, and I've probably shared this before, but I used to. I still do, but less than less. But I used to listen to a lot of other style, <clears> other <throat> preaching, just to kind of kind of learn what other people believed and were teaching and preaching and <coughs> also to kind of hone discernment skills. Is there good in there? Is there bad in there? Is it all good? Is it all bad? Whatever. And a lot of times, let's say theoretically they had a 30-minute sermon. A lot of times for 20 minutes of the sermon, they could be rock solid in what they're talking about. But at, at almost at everything I listened to, at, at some point they would go, 
And so what this means is you have to get busy for Christ or whatever. They would have some false angle that they would put on it. So that's how we know there are Christians in the church, if you will, because they're hearing the word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, is there to work, but at some point they get McDonald's instead of Perry's. Does that make sense? What's the difference? My wife asked me this just this week. What's the difference between doctrine and dogma? Good question. I have an answer, but I don't want to. I want everybody else well, to participate too. too. But I'm not sure it's, it's good enough. Dogma is not necessarily a bad word no. either. Okay, let's progress forward because we're going to talk okay. about doctrine. I didn't think to bring up dogma, but doctrine matters. That's why we we even concern ourselves at all with intra-Christian discussions and debates because doctrine matters, as Pastor Wolfmiller pointed out. It may not make somebody lose their faith today, but over time, their confidence, their comfort, their surety <clears throat> can be eroded. Their comfort can just <clears throat> be gone. And therefore, their focus goes to the wrong place, which is what today's lesson is all about. Um, what dangers would there be in ignoring these trends? rather than acknowledging them, admitting that they have an effect on us, choosing instead to be more biblical, or in our case, more Lutheran. Um, what dangers could there be? Rick Warren says you got to know what you believe or you'll fall for anything. And I think that's it. You'll fall for it. It sounds good. Or right. the Smiths believe that. They love their church. It is so good. You know, One of the most Lutheran guys I know, he would get red-faced on at him. Red face during during a, a singing of a Lutheran hymns, Mighty Forkers. He would baller that sucker out. Going to a non-denominational church in Austin today, really? because his son started going there, and his son married the pastor's daughter. Mm -hmm. So let me get this right: the parents are supposed to follow the children, yeah, yeah. instead of the children following the parents. You wouldn't believe the excitement in that church, and this pastor of Miami, you know, and you go. Don Adams, golly, I couldn't believe it. I don't think we can rest on our laurels at all and say none of this affects us. We have to be aware that it's around us. Um, I, I was meant to bring some examples, but like, there's even stuff from the non-believing world that affects the church in general and eventually even gets its dirty fingers just like cancer into the orthodox side of the church, that littler circle, you know, because the, the, you watch Hallmark Channel, right? So they're, they're good Christian people. I love watching the Hallmark Channel, but I'm watching a series with my wife right now, and they throw in um, this lady who leads the church service uh, kind of a thing. Well, that's what the world thinks is acceptable, and therefore it comes into the church. You know, the world will tell you that women have equal rights, and therefore equal rights work their way into the church, and they just ignore what God's word clearly and plainly says about his created order for his church, and they say we have to do it the way the world is doing it. We have to let women be pastors. No, we don't. That's why that circle is going to keep getting smaller and smaller for a, a very long time. It'll always be there because God will preserve a remnant. The church will always exist. But it's going to get smaller, I think, because the Bible even talks about how as, as we get closer to the end of times, more and more people will wander from the faith 
right? Unless I'm misquoting something. Now, anybody hear the term lex orandi, lex credendi? Nice Latin phrase. Everybody should know. Lex I brought this up in our Bible teacher meeting after class, after the class, but um, it's, it's Latin, not Greek. <laughs> less is more. Less is more. No, orandi. Um, think oratory. You know, things you say, things you, whatever. Credendi. That's a tough one, but that's how you 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 are, how you believe, how you act. So here's the definition of it. Loosely translated, it means the law of prayer is the law of belief. This has been around for a long time, folks. This isn't something that somebody invented 50 years ago or 150 years ago. What would that mean? Because I have some more text to share, but what does that mean? The law of prayer is the law of belief. And you can flip it over, too, and say the law of belief is the law of prayer. Think of it as saying... As we pray, so we believe. Prayer leads to belief. As we pray, so we will believe. As we speak, so we will believe. As we hear and listen, so we will believe. And the opposite is true. As we practice, that a certain practice is the way the church should be, that will affect our prayer life. That will affect what we pray for. As you worship, so you will believe, and as you believe, so you will worship. If it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it probably is a duck, right? In other words, to put it in, like, our, we're, we're America in general. Are you talking about insti uh, individuals or institutions? Yes. Okay. If it tastes like a duck. It might taste like chicken. You never know. Um, but if we put it in kind of our, our, our terms, the, the United States was largely, if not, you know, reality, started from a heavy influence from the Methodist Church, right? The early, the Lutherans came later, Baptists came later, it was like the Methodists. They were like an offshoot of the Episcopalian Church and stuff like that. Um, so if you look like a Methodist, <laughs> If you walk like a Methodist, if you talk like a Methodist, you will become a Methodist. If you are a Methodist, you will talk like one, walk like one, and look like one. A couple of weeks ago, I heard that. You can put any denomination in there. That's just. I heard uh, my granddaughter's friend was down here from Missouri, and uh, she said a Methodist or a Lutheran light. Lutheran light. I thought Pastor Noack one time, I, I sat in Pastor Noack's office and when we were getting married and I said, he goes, you know, uh, what's your backgrounds? And, and I said, well, I was born and raised Catholic, which is how you say it if you're a Catholic. I was born Catholic. I wasn't baptized Catholic. I was born Catholic. And Janet, of course, said she was from the Baptist tradition and then the non-denominational Pentecostal influences all came into it. He's got this big soup of stuff. Uh, I said, well, what about my family? It's like, I mean, I'm becoming a Lutheran and, and, and leaving the Catholic Church. He says, well, John, that's okay. <laughs> Just tell them that you're, you know, you're, you're, you're refining yourself you're, you're, or whatever. It's like you're, you're becoming, you know, 
Well, he had a better way of putting it, but it was like you're kind of just jettisoning all the baggage like Luther did, and you're getting down to the core, you know. So I thought that was kind of cool. But you have to not recognize these things. That's kind of the whole purpose here. Um, we're now, gonna... This is a, a, a tricky sort of thing to when you want to expose someone to something different, uh, a different, a different flavor, a different doctrine, you know, a different teaching or a different word from the Lord. You 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 have to be careful that that the pre, that the the doctrine that they hold to is often unquestioned. So so I try to with that sort of picture try to take a step back. And say, let's let's see if we can examine some of these things that we might have never even thought about before, that we might have never even considered. And that's what I mentioned after class last week was this notion of you might have a conversation with somebody. They might not know, they may know what they believe, but they may not know why they believe it. But they're going to hold to it because that's what they've been taught and and come to believe. So that's like the first battle you run up against is, well. I've always been taught that there's an age of decision. Well, I've always been taught that we should baptize babies. Boom. You have a conflict. Can both be, you know, sound doctrine? You can. Lutherans would say, well, yeah, you can baptize kids at any age. So we kind of are the group that's like, you know, can you immerse people in baptism? We're like, yeah, we don't care whether you immerse people or not. We just don't. And we have a reason why we don't. Now, if we did, it wouldn't be wrong, and some Lutheran churches do. But the, the tradition of doing that went away for a reason. Anybody know why? It would scare people off from becoming baptized. No. Liability? Huh? Except they drowned. <laughs> no, because a church body came about and said, unless you are immersed, you are not baptized. So the Lutheran response was, it's not about how much water there is, it's about the fact that there is water, so we will now sprinkle, pour, whatever, and we can dunk if we want to. We don't care. But it's not about the quantity of water, it's about the water being there with the word. Our Lutheran church in Tomball, Salem, they've got steps leading down into their pond. Yeah, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. But if a church like Baptist, right, or or whoever, they say if you're not immersed, you are not fully Christian. You're not. So they're not bringing comfort to people. The Lutheran position brings comfort to people. If a piece, if a speck of water glanced your glanced you while you're being baptized, you know the water and the Word were there. That's comforting. Why not bring comfort to people? It's not a lie. You're not comforting them with a lie. That's a whole other story. A lot of people find false doctrine very comforting. But um, anyway, what is doctrine? Is doctrine a bad word? Do you ever hear anybody say doctrine is a bad word in a sense? And if so, what do they say and why? They're saying uh, they don't want to be held down to a doctrine. Uh, that's just a doctrine. That's the, those are words made of man. Those are not words made of God. So you can make all the doctrine you want. That doesn't mean I have to do it. Uh, there are doctrines of men, or what we call traditions of men, but well, but they're throwing out the whole word doctrine. Yeah. Doctrine is bad. In other words, the creeds are bad. 
right? Because creed is a doctrinal statement. It's a statement of belief. It's a statement of what's true. So they'll say, we, you know, deeds, not creeds. We're, we're all about James, in a sense. We're about our deeds, not our creeds. Well, what do you believe? Everybody has something they believe. Everybody just doesn't write it down. Now, when they do, that's when they start getting into areas where you can say, this is what you said you believe. Here's what we say we believe. Let's have a discussion. But if you don't write it down, if you don't know what is written down, most Lutherans don't know what's in the Book of Concord. So how can they have a discussion about what God says about justification if they've never read you know, the Lutheran position on it and then gone back to the scriptures and said, does this truly confess what the scriptures say? Sometimes you hear uh, people referred to as doctrinaire conservatives. Doctrinaire. Meaning. Is that meant to be a bad thing? Meaning they, uh, their doctrine that they believe in is so strong, they're doctrinaire. Okay, doctrinaire. Okay. What's wrong? What does the word doctrine mean? Doctrine means truth. It means teaching. When the Bible talks about, you know, you're, you're, you're holding to doctrine, it's saying hold to the things you were taught. When it says follow the teachings, it's saying follow the doctrines. So it's a great word, right? It's not a bad word. It matters because it's the truth of what Scripture says. That's where dogmatics comes into play. Dogmatics is simply saying what is doctrine and believing it and holding fast to it and not being willing to compromise on it. This is what the scripture says about this, period. Well, how do you know? Have you not read the scriptures? <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus said what to the Pharisees? You know, you've, you read the scriptures, you've read the scriptures because you think within them you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me. They are truth. Can there be such a thing as false doctrine? Yes. You have to be careful. Yes, false teaching. False, that's what the false doctrine would be. Such as the Bible doesn't say is when it says is. You know, that's a false doctrine. Last night we were driving back to Tomball and, and it had, of course, the radio on. And uh, Joel Osteen's going to do a program. I, it's either right before the Super Bowl or maybe today. Uh, he was inviting everybody to tune in, you know. And then he went into a diatribe real quick of, of uh, God wants his best for you. And God has great plans for you. Uh, nothing but good's going to come into your life all along, real quick. Is that a doctrine? Yeah, that's what he believes. But, but is that a doctrine? It's a false doctrine. A it's a false doctrine. Hmm. It's not a biblical doctrine. It is a teaching. It's his teaching. So it is a doctrine, but it would be classified in the category of a false doctrine. Most of what he says is. There's some truth. A false doctrine. Yeah. Most, there, there is some truth if you really dig around in there. Not what he said last night. You know? all Marty. You know? God only wants good for you. Tell that to all the people in the Bible that suffered. Tell it to all the martyrs that suffered. God only, has, yeah. Ultimately, if you understand it correctly, you could say, yeah, God does have only good plan for you because through all this tribulation, He will bring you unto Himself. He will strengthen your faith, and He will bring you unto Himself. That's not what Joel Osteen's talking about. He's talking about the fact that you'll always be smiling, 
you'll always have money, you'll always be healthy, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's not what the scripture promises. So it's false. I would like to hear him talk about why his father died a young man. Well, I'm sure he would say something like, you know, it was the Lord's will. He might actually go there. That's not what he's saying about the rest of you, because God wants only good for you. Then why did his father die at a young age? Yeah. And his mother didn't. Let's not get too sidetracked. But <laughs> if we keep a close watch, the, the Bible in Timothy, which he mentioned in the video, says keep a close watch on yourself, which means your life, right? And on the teaching, which means the doctrine. Things Paul had taught Timothy that were doctrine. They were truth about Christ, right? Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, sound doctrine affects you, right? It affects how you live, but it also affects those around you. It affects those who hear what you say, what you confess. If you confess sound doctrine, that's going to benefit somebody more than confessing false doctrine. Now, are people that listen to Joel Osteen saved? <clears throat> Probably, there's, you know, I don't know how many, but you know, probably, you know, if he ever gets to the law and the gospel, <laughs> you know, if they, I don't know if they baptize more than once a year, or I don't know if they actually baptize in the name of the triune God when they do, but if they do, that's a God thing, that's not a Joel thing. But then what are they being fed year, day in and day out, week in and week out? They're not going to the the produce section. They're going down the chip aisle or the candy aisle. Um, I mean, Paul says to Timothy, remember this? He says, give attention to yourself and to the doctrine. And by doing so, you will not only save yourself, but you will save those that hear you. So if paying attention to the doctrine has something to do with salvation, then it better not be a bad word. Uh, and in fact, I think... You know, uh, one of the classic distinctions that the, uh, that Lutheran theology has always made from the scriptures, and this is really great, um, is the distinction between law and gospel. And, and that is to say that God speaks to us with two distinct uh, words, two distinct ways of, of, of getting it at us. And the first is his law, which is his commands. It's where he tells us what we ought to do, what our life should be like. And the second is the gospel. That's where he tells us what he's done, uh, his mercy, his kindness, uh, his promises, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the forgiveness of sins that that wins for us, all those sorts of things. It's really, really wonderful. And when we look at the, the difference between doctrine and life, we start to see that life has everything to do with the law. But when we talk about the doctrine, uh, we're talking about uh, the Lord's gifts, we're talking about his mercy, we're talking about the gospel and his promises. So if we want to get at the saving work of Christ, it's got to be through the doctrine. You cannot save somebody with false preaching, with false teaching, because you're not sharing the word of God with them, you're sharing something twisted. Right? Keep a watch over yourself and your teachings, your doctrine. Persist in them. By doing so, you will save yourself. Bring salvation too. 
and others. Yeah, by, by persisting in sound doctrine, he, Timothy's saved, right? This is something, when we read the Bible, we got to remember the context of where something's being said, because a lot of times people say, see, it's saying, if you do this, then you're saved. Now, the person who is being written to or being spoken of is already a Christian. Timothy is a Christian, so he cannot save himself, but he can keep him. He can keep himself in the salvation, if you will, in the faith by what he believes. I have the New Adventure Bible. Oh, well, that's good. For children. Okay. All right. How are we teaching bottom, our kids? From this verse, it goes right down here. First Timothy four twelve. Here's how you do that. According how you persist in doing that according to this what what we're teaching children. You ready? Ready. See if you can figure out what's missing in this. It says, all right, uh, make yourself a pledge poster to put on the wall. It might say these examples. In speech, I will not gossip or swear. In life, I will do what pleases God. In love, I will care for others. In faith, I will pray and trust God. And in purity, I will choose what is right. According to what are they going after there? Well, who, first of all, who's all the focus on in that, in that note? It's all yeah. this way. What's right? missing is, and believe that Jesus suffered and died and rose again for payment for your sin. Which wouldn't be hurt to be at the beginning of any explanation. But see, okay? they missed that. It's not part of it. It's yeah. all do, 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 do. It's the right. very thing he's trying to write in this, yeah. this whole study. Yeah, it's all. And now let's continue because we're going to get deeper into that and hopefully, because I'm not going to be here. But again, time. those are precepts in the Bible. God says, do this. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. so I'm saying yeah. what he missed was. All because yeah, of what Christ exactly. did for There's him. nothing wrong with the third use of the law. There's nothing wrong with preaching the 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 way Christians should live. But if you leave out, it, it's, it's what happens in what we're talking about today. So it happens in pietism. Pietism starts turning all the focus in on yourself. What I have to do today, as opposed to what putting most of the focus on what has been done already. And what is being done today, you know, it, it's not—it's it, not an elimination of the third use of the law. It's just keeping everything in perspective, right? And and it's real easy to start saying, okay, I, today I need to do blah 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 blah. Oh, I I forgot to put the focus on Jesus today. Well, that's going to happen. That's just going to happen. So last week we learned that revivalism be, was where it, the Christian life begins for some people. It's it's in your decision, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the Methodist anxious bench, the moment of decision, uh, all those kind of things. So that question says, how does my, where does my life begin as a Christian? And the answer is it begins with me, me, me. It begins with my decision, my accepting. Therefore, we need an altar call. Right. So the question then becomes, if it begins with me, then what are the next logical things? The next logical things are how do I stay in the faith? How do I remain a Christian? What does a Christian life look like? Just what you were taught reading there. Properly taught, if somebody's teaching that child through that Bible, they could do what you were saying, and they could bring it around to the right perspective. But if a child is just reading this Bible on their own and not being taught... Yes, so you're right. You said... In doing so, this will help you make friends and you can share the gospel message with them. So in American Christianity, what answers those questions up there? Put that, in. 
put it in there. Uh, in American Christianity, what answers these questions? Well, it's this thing called pietism, right? Because you, it started with you, so it has to keep going with you. So pietism says it keeps going with me. It's my works my, or my growth in good works that become the chief mark of my Christian faith and my Christian life. If I'm not growing in good works today, then I'm shrinking back. You've probably heard that term before. It looks to me like, uh, <clears throat> as an individual person, yourself, I, the personal pronoun I, is probably the most important part of Christianity in your single faith. When you have a family, when you marry a spouse, that word changes to we or us. Yeah. Good point. That's pretty important, except when things get in the way. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of Christians have things that get in the way. Yep. Sadly. Yep. Yeah. But this is where watching your your life and your doctrine matter. Because if your doctrine is sound, guess what will happen to your life? It'll be more sound. It won't necessarily be perfect, because it can't be. But it'll be more sound, right? Because you're watching your doctrine carefully. It puts my growth in good works, in fact, against the confession of the truth, against doctrine. If you are from a pietistic piet in, in point of view, if you're in pietism, right? It puts... If your focus is inward, it's not outward. How about putting it that way? If the majority of your time is spent focusing on your own growth and good works, then why are you doing your good works? To be able to say to God, look, I grew in good works today. And God's like, yeah. How about Jesus? You know? Uh, so what does pietism think about those who are overly concerned with doctrine? This is something that we should... I'm hearing all the time. I don't know if you guys are hearing all the time. Why are you so overly concerned with doctrine? Why aren't you just out there loving people? Yeah. That's what's being taught through the Methodist. All this stems from Methodism, not to pick on them too harshly, but it does. It's the revivalism started with them, and it's in every denomination, including the Lutheran Church. So they will say, you know, well... Uh, we're dead orthodox. People. We're so focused on being orthodox that we have no love anymore. We have no life anymore. Thankfully, I know how to pause and breathe because I've had people say that to me. And my old Adam wants to respond one way. Like, so you're telling me that I don't love other people. I don't love other Christians just because I'm focused on... The truth. I'm focused on what the Bible says is true, which is what we call doctrine. Well, that's just because they want to attack doctrine. So they will ad hominem you, basically. They will attack your person to get you to shut up about doctrine. I'm not going to shut up about doctrine. What really matters to the pietist is their life more so than their faith. And by that, it's just that inward focus becomes more important than the outward focus. And some of them would say, well, but all my, out all my good works are outward focused. Are they? What matters is one good works, not one's doctrine, they're saying. It doesn't matter what I believe, it matters what I'm doing. Is that true? Is that safe? 
to say, it doesn't matter what I believe as long as I'm out there loving people. It doesn't matter what I believe as long as um, I'm smiling a lot. I don't know. It matters what you believe. Hopefully, if you believe the right things and you're a person who tends to be out there doing stuff, then what will come out of you is good works that are real good works. That's next week or two weeks from now study. So bear with me on that. Is there a connection here with 1 Timothy 4? Yes, there is. You watch your life and your doctrine. Your doctrine influences your life. If your life is wrong and you don't pay attention to doctrine, your life's going to stay wrong. So what does incurvatus in se mean? This is what I was trying to remember. Curvatus. It means, it's a Latin term that means turned or curved inward on oneself. And it's a theological phrase describing a life lived inward for oneself rather than outward for God and others. Come back in two weeks and we'll talk all about that. Because that we're going to talk about piety versus pietism before we move on to, what's the next one, moralism? <laughs> no, mysticism is next. Uh, this is not the way the Lord wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be focused on ourselves. He wants us to be focused on him and others, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself only after you've loved yourself more than both of those doesn't say that. So, what is piety? Why is it appealing, Steve? You've, you've read ahead some of it. Why is it appealing? Why, why would anybody, if they know anything about pietism, want to be a pietist? People love checklists. Chicklets? Checklists. Checklists. Okay. I love chicklets, personally. And it also stems from a doctrine that they're being taught, you now need to please God. Oh, God yeah, you brought that up last week. You've got to, yeah. God's got to be pleased with what you do. Yeah. Don't let him be disappointed in you. That's a subset, and it's a good thing to point out, is there's there's the person who who really does believe that they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all the right stuff, but their whole life is, am I pleasing God today? Am I pleasing God today? Am I pleasing God today? Instead of saying what? What should they ask? Was God pleased with me? Is it? Did God... Uh, you know, instead of saying, is God pleased with me? Like, am I doing enough good works? They should say, am I pleasing... Was God pleased with me? Did he... Come, uh, it's hard it's to describe. You know? I think maybe a better question is, did my life reflect what I claim I believe? But even that, I mean, that's good. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But even that gets us thinking too much about what we're doing. You started that question. <laughs> it's hard to answer that. It is hard to answer. No matter what, it's going to turn inward. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult to just stay outwardly focused. It's very difficult to stay focused on just God and neighbor in a proper way. I'm still stuck on this First <laughs> Timothy 4 thing. It, is watch your life and your doctrine closely, persevere in them. That's great, yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. But then they, they uh, persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself. Boom, they stop right there. 
you save yourself. And I really think that's that, that's so easy to do because they attack that. Um, somehow, when they read that verse, I'm sure people are saying, yes, I can save myself if I just take better care of you. What does that sound like? What does it sound like? Roman Catholicism. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, God gets it started, but you have to finish it. Surprisingly, that's also what most of American Christianity believes, even though they're not Roman Catholic. That God gets it started. He gives you, in the Catholic terminology, God gives you an infusion of grace, but you have to combine that grace with good works or you're not saved. Instead of teaching, God saves you. He justifies you. He sanctifies you. And because of that, he does good works through you. Which one's more comforting? The one where I have to constantly come up with something to do every day, which I should want to do, right? I should always want to do good works. The work's prepared in advance. Hmm. They're prepared in advance for me to do. They're not things that I'm supposed to come up with on my own. <laughs> They're prepared in advance. Oh, but I have to pray to God. I have to have a special revelation from God, and I have to hear his voice in my quiet time saying, Chris, this is what you're supposed to do today to make me happy. You know what he would say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today, Chris. Don't waver from that. And then go love people. You met your own Catholic just past week. You heard so much about the pedophiles oh, in the Roman Catholic yeah, Church. Yeah. And, and the uh, problem is that here you have all the non-Christians, atheists, and so on, attacking Christian, attacking them because they think this is what Christianity is, and they don't want any part of it. Mm -hmm. And then what? the priest would say, "Oh, we're forgiven." Hmm. You violated that. How can we believe anything they say? Right, right. Well, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, do as I say, not as I do. So if your doctrine is right... My mother said that. I know. But the Bible actually says it. Your mom got it from the Bible. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's going to do something wrong. You're going to lie today. You're going to cheat today. You're going to steal today. You're going to covet today. If your children say, I'm not going to listen to you, mom and dad, until you're perfect. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go become a Christian, quote unquote. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to listen to the Bible because, I mean, there's something wrong with that, right? It's kind of like the parent telling a child, don't smoke me, blow on smoke in the choice. Yeah, yeah. But you can say, do as I say now. I can still tell you the right thing to do. I can tell you what the sound doctrine is, even if I'm a sinner and I fall short of the glory of God. Because that leads to forgiveness. I'm forgiven, and I'm going to forgive you. Now, please don't go out and sin on purpose, my child. But when you do, I'm going to forgive you. Yeah, but don't say, I, Dad, forgive me for the sin I'm about to commit. <laughs> I've got some serious heartburn about Catholic priest and his pedophile stuff. Okay. To, to me, that there's a difference between, uh, they say, well, all sin is, is the same in God's eyes, so we should forgive them and move on. Well, that's like saying, okay, uh, 
the, the, the priest found a dime in the pew and went and bought a, well, this, this dates me, but went and bought a package of gum with it. And a priest going in with an ark with a gun and robbing a bank. They're not the same. The sins have consequence. And, and a, to me, when a priest commits that kind of sin, he is completely uh, denied his faith. You cannot do something so grievous in God's eyes and, yeah. and walk away from it. I don't understand how they can. Like I don't know how their church discipline can say we're just going to move you somewhere else. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's oh, insane. Yeah. Uh, it should be you are no longer a priest. Yeah. Sorry. They should have made an example out of the first guy that they caught. Yeah. Well, that would have been many centuries ago. Well, so. yeah, it's <laughs> been going on for centuries. You know what comes to my mind? Are, are there's we are all sinners. Everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody on this planet is a sinner, okay? And uh, that's due to the fact, you know, good and evil. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, God nature. loves everybody. That's right. But he hates the sin. That right. Is right. And that's the reason why we have these guidelines. We have the law. We have the gospel to bring us closer to God. He gives us all, the, uh, yeah. all of this stuff so that we can follow yeah. his son. But if you're a known thief, we're not going to make you the treasure of the congregation. Right, it makes, makes sense. sense. Right? Yes. If, and you can say, "Well, I've repented. I, I, I'm, I don't care." If you're We're not going to make you drink. Here's an even better one. If you're, what you, we we know you by your fruits, right? We know you. Then you could say that that means not for salvation. No, 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 no. It's no. always no, important no. to say. Right, important to say. But what I'm saying is, when the Bible talks about our fruits, it's often talking about what we confess, the doctrine we hold to, right? So if by your confession, what you say and what you do, you show that you are not sound of doctrine from the Lutheran perspective. But you really like to, to teach. Yeah. <laughs> then we should just let you teach and we'll, you know, we'll, you know, it's like, no. Now, do you have to read the book of Concord front to back and hold to it quia like a pastor? No. You have to believe that the truth is there, that that's a right confession of Scripture, right? But it's not the same as you're a pastor. But if you don't believe in the doctrines, the 20, at least the 24 or whatever that are in the Book of Concord, if you don't hold to those as true, how many false things are you going to teach in your class? Yeah. The, the only thing that I can say about uh, a, a, a about certain things, you know, uh, would be that you have the Constitution where the laws are written into it. The laws are based on mores, morals, uh -huh. okay? They've been handed down, but they've been changed. That change is created and known as taboos. Some people think that, that taboos are part of the mores, and that it's not. You know, they think that they can do certain things. Well, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, break this law because it's a small law. And I won't, if I get caught, I won't be prosecuted as severe. But, but wrong is wrong and right is right. Gray, gray, a little gray lie or white lie is, is okay, but a big black lie yeah. is wrong. Well, no, a lie is a lie. So the only people that are held accountable to the priests, yeah. besides their boss, okay, is God. So, he will... He will judge. Yeah. 
in the end, God will judge. But God we have, we can, judge. in this world, judge people by the fruit that they have. We can judge people. If somebody says something wrong, if it's wrong doctrine, we can judge it correct or incorrect. That's one of the things we get to do. So why is pietism a feeling? We answered that. We, an example, I'm, we don't have time for the audio, but what would be a danger in pietism? What would be a danger of this incurvatus in, say, a danger of this focusing on your good works and stuff like that? What could be a danger um, focusing on yourself rather than focusing on God and others? Isn't that what the Pharisees did? Huh. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Did, they, did they do something yeah. like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's good. That's good. So is pietism comparative? Yeah. <clears throat> In what way? Uh, we probably won't have time for this audio either. It may be short, but I didn't steal a million dollars. I only stole stole a hundred dollars. I'm not as bad as the other guy. Right, no. Forgive me, Lord. Uh, well, there, what's the Bible passage? Not forgive me, but it's um. I can't remember, but it's like, you know, I'm, at least I'm not as bad as that other guy. Yeah, the Pharisee. The Pharisee, yeah. yeah. The Pharisee and the tax collector. No, or the publican. Yeah, the, the, the Republican. Republican. No, not, not Republican. <laughs> the Pharisee and the publican. <laughs> at least I'm not as bad as that guy. The demo. Well, <laughs> I thank you, in fact, that I'm not I as bad as that Thank you, that's right. Thank, thank you. That's so real pie. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you might uh, be better. Yeah, you know, I, I, I hope not. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it gets... It gets um, it gets factored in there, right? Because uh, I want to get to some scriptures. So. And, and maybe it's accidental. I don't know if it's essential, but but if my whole life is about looking at my myself and judging my own works and my own growth and sanctification, um, my my own uh, piety, then it's going to be very natural for me to look at the. Um, the, the person over there, the person that says they're Christian or the non-Christian or whatever, and uh, this, the same the same mind that I'm using to judge myself, I'm using to judge them. And that's the danger of pietism. And we all fall into this sometimes, but it's, it's the danger of, well, I'm not good, but they're worse, like you were just saying. At least I'm not as bad as that tax collector or that publican or whatever. Um, so what's the pendulum of pride and despair, and what's it driven by? What's well, this pendulum between... I wasn't good enough for God today, so I'm in despair, or I'm really awesome today, so I'm in pride. And we're on this pendulum back and forth, which affects other things, which we'll talk about when we talk about mysticism. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's just not the way we're meant to live the Christian life. We're not meant to live wondering if we pleased God enough today or whether we just nailed it today. We're meant to live a life of repentance. The chief thing and the first thing in the 95 Theses was that the entirety of a Christian life should be one of repentance. Well, if you did really good today, do you need to repent? No. Well, yeah, you do. Yes. But the pietists will say, nope. They'll follow into this Methodist thinking that you can have days in your life when you don't sin. And if you have those kind of days, what do you not need that day? forgiveness. You don't need Christ that day. It, the more days you have where you don't sin, the less and less you need Christ. You may eventually say, oh, I really messed up today. I need grace today. But tomorrow I'm not going to need grace because tomorrow I'm going to be awesome. That's just the wrong thinking. It's, it, 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 you can't let it stop you from doing your good works, but it's just the wrong thinking on it. 
So what do the scriptures tell us about goody workus? That's what some of the Catholic writers would call good works, goody workus. <laughs> well, they tell us, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, right? But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So a healthy tree cannot bear, ba uh, bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. What does that tell us? That God works through us. God is our vine. God is, we are the branch. If we're healthy, we're going to bear good fruit. If our doctrine is sound, we're going to bear good fruit, right? A good person out of the good treasures brings forth good. Good treasures being faith. Good treasures being soundness of doctrine. Uh, and the evil person out of the evil treasures, what's stored up in his heart, brings forth evil. That's why I always talk about what are you saturated with? If you're saturated with the Word of God, then good things, good sound things are going to come from it. If you're not saturated with the good sound things, then bad things are going to come from it. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it, right? Uh, nor do, uh, do, you, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's Christ, the life that Christ lives through us, the newness of life. That's our good works, right? And this turns into a vocational thing, which we don't have time to get into today. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If your mind is saturated with sound doctrine and the Bible and the scriptures and Christ and him crucified and all that kind of stuff, um, then you'll be able to test and discern what the will of God is, what good it's good and acceptable and perfect to him. You will do good works. For the commandment says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment as summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So the word of God, the law, working through you and the gospel working through you fulfills itself in the Christian life. Whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And to abide in him means what? He who abides in my word, there and, then, and I abide in him, right? If you abide in his word, he abides in you. If you keep his word, he, which means treasuring it, not like fulfilling it. That's where one of the things we Christianity gets wrong is the word keep doesn't mean what we think it means. The word keep doesn't mean if you're perfect, not perfect today, <laughs> then you're not my child. It means do you treasure my word in your heart? That kind of stuff. So that's where we end. The next class will be on piety versus pietism. There is a difference, and we will find out what that is. Any final thoughts and comments since we're wrapped up here? And any questions? Anybody have any questions? Because Pastor Wolf Miller is eager to um, do another video. He loves doing these things. Was there anything about pietism that struck you? Or <clears throat> you know, I have a question that I didn't answer, and maybe Pastor Wolf Miller can answer it. Well, America's started with pietism, and they, when they came over, Yeah, basically. I mean, it, it's been around for a long time. It actually <laughs> started with the Lutherans, if you believe that. But it, was a, it wasn't the pietism that's around today. 
pietism that started in the Lutheran or German church at the time was that they were kind of ignoring the third use of the law in their preaching. They were a little bit more like, here's our doctrine and here's our, you know, so they were a little heavy on the doctrine. So a response to that within the German church was, well, we're going to not preach doctrine. We're going to preach the life of the Christian. And that's exactly where America is right now. Most churches don't teach and preach doctrine to their people. They teach and preach the Christian life to people. And that just starts to eliminate, even though Christ is in there, the Christian life, it starts to eliminate their focus on Jesus, because that's what doctrine does. Doctrine focuses you on Jesus. Uh, I had one question that I wanted to ask him, and that was that, because um, we're going to talk about piety, is if you're doing piety, which is better, it's good, then how do you keep that from turning into pietism? If you're doing good works as the Bible says, that, you're, that are prepared in advance for you to do, if you're doing Romans 12, I think it is here, uh, 16, here, sorry, uh, 16. Uh, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Such persons do not deserve our Lord, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the hearts of the night. If you're fighting against the pietism that you see by trying to be more pious, having a piety, how do you keep that from just turning into this pietism? You know, and maybe he'll have an answer for that. So today, this is kind of just a verse I pulled out to start us off. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, their heart, I always put an S in there. Okay, well... All right. Well, there's a little bit of a hiccup there with the audio, like we we're going to start repeating the audio. Sorry about that. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Cafe Sola Has American Christianity Failed the Bible Book Study. I'm Christopher Hogan. I would like to remind you to like this uh, podcast wherever you can like it or hit the little heart button. And I would like to ask you to... Follow us on Facebook and even leave questions or comments on the Cafe Sola Facebook page. And I would really recommend that you subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, and share this with other people. It will also be on Podbean and eventually, yeah, by the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be on iTunes, but they're taking forever to verify, to review the initial podcast that I sent them. So I hope they do that very soon. And remember to, uh, sorry about that, uh, blacked out there for a second. Remember to share this with friends, share this with uh, non-Christians, share this with whoever you want to, but particularly um, maybe non-Christians because, or non-Lutherans, because they'll have an opportunity to have uh, maybe their faith challenged a little bit, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's not a bad thing. When I was a Roman Catholic, I'll tell you right now, I thought as Roman Catholics did. And then as time went on, I started to understand more and more about what the Lutheran Church taught. And very many things of what I believed as a Catholic were starting to be challenged. And I had to examine them and, and uh, look to the scriptures and see what the truth was. And in, a, in the end, let a lot of them go. And I've been around enough people 
who are not Lutherans, who belong to other denominations, other traditions, who will say things like, this is what I've always believed and I'm not going to believe anything else. They're just not open to uh, having what they believe challenged. But I pray that as you share this around, people will find it beneficial and that uh, that they will uh, find themselves challenged. And just I just pray more than anything that they'll make them dig deeper into the scriptures. And if you get a chance, introduce them to the confessions too and tell them the confessions aren't you know, like right up there with Scripture, that kind of thing. They're they're a confession of what Scripture says. They uh, they're just a great summary, a great confession of what the Scripture says. Uh, next week, as you join us, uh, hopefully next week, <laughs> it'll be uh, an opportunity for us to talk about piety versus pietism, and I believe we will also touch on enthusiasm, legalism, and moralism, which will make it a very fun, very full episode. So that'll be episode three next week. Thanks for joining us here on Cafe Sola. I'm your host, Christopher Hogan, and we will talk with you next time. God's blessings on Thank your you day. for joining us for this Bible Thank you study for joining on us Pastor for this Brian Wolfmuller's book, Has American Christianity Failed? For more from Christopher Hogan and Cafe Sola, go to cafesola.com. And next up will be episode three, Bad Graphic Time. Sorry.